Chapter Twelve of Some Haunted Houses of England and Wales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Some Haunted Houses of England and Wales by Elliot O'Donnell. Catchfield Hall, The Midlands. The Terrible Heads that rise through the floor technical form of apparitions phantoms of the dead source of authenticity accumulative hearsay evidence number thirteen the terrace worcester march first nineteen o eight dear mr elliot o'donnell i thought you'd be interested to hear i met mrs blake last night at the stowe's where i got out of her with no small amount of pumping an account of what she saw at that notorious ball at catchfield some years ago it is very horrible too horrible perhaps even for such a spook gourmand as you of course all the names i've given you are fictitious you know there have been several libel cases lately in connection with haunted houses so that one cannot be too careful etc 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 yours sincerely evelyn d o'grady the story my invitation to spend the christmas holidays with lady wentworth came as a delightful surprise imagine me a poor insignificant little schoolmistress in st rudolph's suddenly blossoming out into a much envied guest at catchfield who can blame me if i indulged in a momentary outburst of pride so far my lot in life has not been all couleur de rose losing my husband shortly after our marriage i had been obliged to do something for a bare living my education though fair had fallen short of girton or a degree and i was barely qualified to teach any but very small children had i but foreseen the future i might no doubt have done better as it was my position was only that of a kindergarten schoolmistress in st rudolph's i do not think you can truly estimate a person's disposition till you see how they behave to those who have the misfortune to be in subordinate positions nor can you always tell a shoddy lady from a real one until you have discovered how she treats her governess and servants until i taught in st rudolph's i had no idea how thoroughly common were the majority of its so-called aristocracy but one term was quite sufficient to show me that dealing with such hopelessly and innately vulgar people would be almost more than i could bear it was therefore scarcely a matter of wonder that when christmas drew nigh the christmas after my first sojourn in st rudolph's I was almost beside myself with joy on receiving a pressing invitation to stay at Catchfield Hall. Nothing soothes the sensitive nature of a snob more than to call other people snobbish. The parents of my children were of the middle class, middleish. Snobs were the very big S, and should anyone need a proof of the correctness of this assertion, let me point to him the fact that whenever a moneyed person came to reside with any get-at-able distance whatever the people i have designated as snobs made all haste to call on them 
even the bishop whose object in coming to st rudolph's was obviously only to confirm was inundated with invitations to dinner and the rival claims to eligibility of those invited to meet him were openly discussed at afternoon tea and bridge parties let me also add that their club ludicrously labelled select boycotted one of its members for some trivial remark true enough but like so many other homely truths better left unsaid and that these very people who had sat in judgment themselves indulged in the most scathingly rude remarks to those who for certain reasons were obliged to grin and bear it therefore i repeat again the parents of my children were snobs and being snobs would not allow any one in the humble position of a schoolmistress to say anything that might in any way be construed into snobbishness depict to yourself then how indignant they were and how i laughed up my sleeve when i let slip quite by mischance you understand the fact that i was going to spend christmas with my near my very near kinsman lord robert wentworth a schoolmistress related to a peer how preposterous how absurd how snobbish and they laughed at first scornfully and then incredulously then pityingly and i i humbly bowed them out of the house and running upstairs continued my packing vale st rudolph's welcome catchfield under these circumstances you can imagine why i tell you all this it is to show you how more than overjoyed i was at the thought of eating my christmas pudding among gentlefolk when i got out at highfield the nearest station to catchfield my lord's brougham stood in waiting they are very full up at the hall madam the coachman said touching his hat respectfully otherwise my lady would have sent one of the motors but they have both had to go out longish distances is there a house party i faltered giving one of the horses i love horses a gentle pat on the head what didn't you know i beg your pardon madam the fellow added suddenly recollecting himself but it is the coming of age party of the honourable walter early next week that has fetched well nigh half the county you see he is the eldest son and well madam there is to be a very big ball he made sure madam knew all about it i shook my head despairingly balls were not for such as i i had neither a dress nor yet the money wherewith to buy one most decidedly i ought not to have come i glanced at the man to see if he understood my misgivings apparently he did not perhaps he would not his manner at all events was in no degree less deferential and as he shut the carriage door with the courtly air of an old gallant i compared him with the parents at st rudolph's the comparison of course being all in his favour i will not attempt to describe the exterior of catchfield it has been done so often and so well in historical romances in biographies and in county directories that any additional effort of mine would be at once superfluous and poor i arrived there late too late for dinner and partook of a dainty supper laid expressly for me in the ballroom presumptive fancy supper by myself in a ballroom 
but there was apparently a doubt as to which of the rooms would be used for the occasion his lordship being somewhat reluctant at present to allow this handsomely i might also say somberly furnished apartment to be used for such a frivolous purpose remembering robert's sanctimonious bringing up i was not in the least surprised at his qualms my only wonder being that he countenanced the ball at all but of course that was milady's doings i much wished to inquire why a solitary meal for such as i should be served in a room of such splendid dimensions and one that in most households would undoubtedly have been used as a drawing-room but i refrained not desiring to appear inquisitive in the eyes of the servants her ladyship arrived as i was finishing my second cup of fragrant coffee and despite a certain languid hauteur characteristic of the nobility especially of the modern nobility she appeared to welcome me i felt this and yet somehow i was puzzled puzzled at an indescribable something in her manner that was quite apart from pride something that left me with the decidedly unpleasant impression she was surely acting a part yet why should she why should her ladyship be anything but frank with the poor and inoffensive cousin of her husband but what was it that made her eyes fall as they encountered mine and wander furtively round the room and why that sudden look of fear that crept into them as they alighted on the fireplace you won't mind sitting here till bedtime will you she observed i will tell webster my maid to bring you your candle at eleven o'clock if there is anything you want you have only to tell her all our guests play bridge and i concluded from what robert told me you didn't approve of gambling so i thought you would be happier here we are expecting other anti-gamblers in a few days so your banishment will only be temporary you will excuse us for a time won't you what other reply could i give but oh yes most certainly it is indeed kind of you to allow me to use such a lovely room etc and lady wentworth departed from my presence with a gracious a most patronizing and highly gracious smile i was of course charmed and flattered as any poor connection by marriage should be but i wished all the same that robert had also come to welcome me i should have felt more at ease with robert i liked robert and well i did not like his beautiful and accomplished wife had he come only for two minutes i should not have minded but i was tired i felt neglected and i longed for kindness kindness after st rudolph's it was not like robert we had been such friends in our youth children together playmates chums had money and position changed his nature money i grew dispirited i was poor terribly poor i was lonely oh so lonely the room was huge the night cold and the fire small very small drawing my chair close to it i simulated ease i tried to feel cosy cosy what a barrier an insurmountable barrier was poverty to pleasure would robert's wife have banished a countess fancy a countess experiencing a reception such as this a countess in a vast room empty save for draughts and a lilliputian fire 
a countess i laughed i was growing common like the mediocre parents of st rudolph's vulgarity is catching it is both epidemic and endemic had robert told her i disapproved of playing cards for money of course not that was a society taradiddle he couldn't know my scruples or he would never have asked me to meet his wife she she had guessed my poverty by my profession all schoolmistresses are poor every one that teaches is poor education must be gratis a cold blast of air from the chimney made me shiver the room was indeed draughty and how still i did not altogether like such stillness it got on my nerves and how dark why were not all the gas jets lighted why only this one because i was poor the poor should learn to be economical and example is better than precept hence this feeble flicker a flicker that failing to reach the further extremities of the chamber left the corners enveloped in shrouds of darkness of a black impenetrable darkness i could neither fathom nor comprehend the furniture was superb but it was of too funereal a texture and colour to be pleasing to me just then i would have preferred something of a brighter tone the floor was covered by a carpet that must assuredly have been made expressly for that room since it stretched right up to the skirting concealing every particle of bare board i could not see the pattern i could only devise by the soft tread of the carpet that it was either of persian or turkish manufacture in some places where kissed by the moonlight it was almost white whilst in other parts it was rendered black by a hodgepodge of countless shadows lying thick upon it through the great bay windows opposite me a magnificent panorama of lawn meadows and rivers beyond which i fancied i could detect the needle-like front of a steeple spread itself before my eyes all this natural beauty lay enhanced by a thin covering of gleaming snow it was christmas the glamour of the hour and season enchanted me past injuries and st rudolph's were forgotten i was at peace with all men at peace what wouldn't i give if i could always be so if these broad acres this noble mansion this stately apartment were mine mine all mine and the stillness of the room again oppressed me where were the many guests milady had mentioned where were the sounds of revelry the high-pitched voices of women the hoarser tones of men the indistinct murmuring of conversation such as i had sat and listened to in days of yore how it had hummed and buzzed around me when plunged in pleasant reverie it then had no more effect on my hearing than the lappings of the gentlest waves on the seashore there were no such sounds now these massive walls were a sure impenetrable barrier to whatever might be going on outside this room far from being filled with giddy babblers was empty distractedly painfully empty empty save for the dancing moonbeams and the moving shadows but was it empty my heart gave a violent sickly throb as i recollected the look of disquietude of grave of indisputably grave apprehension in milady's eyes as she peered around of what had she been afraid of the approaching twilight of the shadows of the gloom 
and as i cast a terrified glance ahead of me i fancied foolish fancy that those palls of darkness i have already mentioned had come out further from the nooks and crannies and were fast approaching me those of us who have ever ridden on horseback by night across some dreary wilderness or along a lonely road have doubtless had occasion to observe a strange alteration in the behaviour of our beast its psychic propensities have been suddenly and mysteriously awakened it fights shy of some particular tree or stone or gap in the hedge its ears twitch its flanks quiver it is all on the tremble the slightest sound would now make it take the bit between its teeth and bolt it is afraid not necessarily of what it has seen but what it fears may be there and to an anomalous species of terror i found myself a bounden slave i dreaded to think of the effect even the most trivial sound or incident might now produce on my agitated mind had i been able i would have risked the displeasure of my hostess and left the room but i could not every atom of strength seems to have quitted my body i was pro tempore cataleptic paralyzed a faint and almost imperceptible movement suddenly attracted my attention to a square patch of light on the carpet immediately before me to my horror something was coming through the floor slowly very slowly first of all a head a head surmounted with long dishevelled black hair and then a face god save me from seeing the like again a face that might have once been beautiful or plain or ugly but was now nothing nothing i won't describe nothing but the grave and then shoulders bust what was once a body legs held in its arms in close embrace was the figure of a baby in a like state of nudity and decay for a moment only for a moment they stood swaying silently to and fro in the moonlight and then with a snake-like movement of her body the phantom of the woman glided across the room vanishing in the recess containing the large bay window after the subsidation of intense terror at this hideous spectacle i had been compelled to witness the pulsating of my heart once again becoming normal i was able to reflect with comparative calmness on what i had seen i say with comparative calmness for a strong suspicion now entered my mind that lady wentworth may have anticipated all along what would happen and that i had been put in that room as a mere experiment to see whether it was still haunted the bare idea of such perfidy filled me with so great an indignation that i seriously thought of trumping up some excuse and returning home my resolutions being shattered only by the opportune arrival of cousin robert whose cordial welcome acting like a stimulant made me decide to remain with a thoughtfulness that had singled him out from among his companions as a boy he noticed my weariness and putting it down to the fatigue of my journey went in search of his wife's maid need i say that i was thankful to get to bed and there despite my ghostly adventures i slept very soundly till the gong went for breakfast at which free and easy meal i made the acquaintance of some very charming guests 
Milady was, of course, too much in request to spend more than a few minutes with poor, insignificant me. She expressed an earnest hope that I had not been too dull for words, and that I had found the room warm and comfortable. At all events, she added, you can sit and read there without fear of interruption. I know how fond of books you clever people are. You must go into the library and choose some. You were not disturbed last night, were you? Though this question was put in the most artless manner possible, and with all apparent ingenuousness, I detected a half-frightened, half-inquiring expression in her eyes that she vainly tried to stifle, an expression which converted the suspicion I had entertained into a conviction, a conviction that this woman was isolating me to serve some deep and subtle purpose. I tried to get out of the lady's maid what this purpose might be, but if Webster knew, she most certainly showed no signs of it, being doubtless as accomplished an actress as her mistress. As one may readily conclude, I looked forward to the evening with little equanimity, offering up fervent prayers for any incident that might add to the duration of dinner. Now, I hate grand dinners as a rule. Their regality unnerves me. I am appalled at the number of people, at the dazzling display of plate, at the multiplicity of the courses, many of the dishes being unknown to me, at the ceaseless flow of conversation, at the clatter of glasses, at the wine, at everything, but on this occasion I simply reveled in it. The greatest formalities appealed to me as pleasantly distracting. I was poor, my companions wealthy scions of the aristocracy. I had nothing to do but eat, eat and be silent be silent and listen, listen and look, and I saw all that one would have wanted to see in the atelier of the very best costumer in Paris or the West End. My own dress was shabby, but what of that? No one seemed aware of it, no one noticed me. I was a non-entity, a mute, a consuming machine, in no one's way because each of my neighbors was far too engrossed in eating to care about carrying on a conversation. Once I thought a lady cast a half-enviable glance at my hands. They are my best point, particularly so when nicely manicured. And once I imagined, dear Robert, but there, that was only imagination. Well, the dinner, like all good things, came to an end at last. I enjoyed the dessert most. The bonbons were heavenly. Everyone ate them as if they were hungry. I caught myself actually pitying our hostess. At a signal from Milady, we all got up. I left the other ladies in the hall. They trooped away to fetch their purses, whilst I, feeling very much like some poor whipped schoolgirl, slunk off to the ballroom. It was not until the door closed behind me I understood the full horror of the situation. I was alone. For the second time within twenty-four hours in that chamber, alone alone save for those foul pollutions that might rise at any instant from beneath the floor i believe even then i would have flown had not the stubbornness and pride innate in all my family restrained me come what would her ladyship should never call me a coward so i stuck to my post with heroic resolutions much as i suffered the previous day my sufferings then in comparison with now were small 
nor did the dreadful anticipations that tortured me without cessation as i sat there waiting for the boards to part asunder in any way surpass the awful realization step by step detail by detail the psychic drama was repeated in all its damnable horror my recovery after witnessing it being slower on this occasion accompanied by relapses into a state of terror too painful even to recall yet i survived and succeeded in so far pulling myself together that i met the kindly greetings of her ladyship at breakfast next morning with a calm and unembarrassed air she did not suspect me once again the ordeal came and milady with a refinement of cruelty worthy of her steel-blue eyes and thin lips herself conducted me to the fatal ballroom to-morrow you will have company she murmured her face shining white amid that semi-gloom i must apologize for not giving you more light but for some unearthly reason or other only one of those gas jets will ever burn odd is it not and as her eyes met mine i walked to the fire and burst out laughing she was disarmed could any one laugh who was afraid of ghosts she speedily very speedily left me and once again i underwent suspense horror prostration i think i suffered more this third night than on either of the other two yet long before morning i had recovered from the shock i saw a look of genuine relief rush into her ladyship's face as she encountered my smiling countenance whatever apprehensions she might have had with regard to that room were now unquestionably removed it must be cleared out without further delay i heard her remark to robert the floor will take some time polishing and remember the incandescent burners the incandescent burners i chuckled what effect would they have on ghosts i half expected she would now tell me why she had been anxious i should remain in the room she was assured it was no longer haunted why trouble about the past but a moment's reflection made me think that after all it might be the past she was most anxious to conceal hauntings especially of so gruesome a nature as this usually point to some blot on the escutcheon to a disreputable something in the history of the house and that is why so many people object to seeing their family ghosts appear in print accordingly milady having the honour of the wentworths at heart would take very good care she did not give me as much as a hint as to what she herself quite possibly attributed to legends webster did indeed favour me with the information that neither her ladyship nor any one else save lord wentworth and the old charwoman who dusted were ever known to enter the room at all events since she had been at the hall and that was well nigh ten years which information clearly implied that entrance was strictly forbidden it was interesting to speculate what course milady would have adopted had i told her what i had seen she was proud domineering and tactful would she have pooh-poohed the whole thing commanded me to be silent resorted to bribery or what i couldn't imagine her pleading and yet 
the honour of the old aristocracy is very dear to them they sometimes value it more than life the next few days passed agreeably and all too quickly for me the non-card-playing element though rather stiff and prudish were kindly disposed towards me no doubt on account of my shy disposition and impecunious widowhood of robert i saw very little the host and hostess in a big house never have a moment to spare to prepare the ballroom an extra staff of servants was employed incessantly for three days at the end of which time it was pronounced ready for the occasion i can find no words to convey to others the singular way in which the altered room impressed me though stripped of all its massive gloomy furniture brilliantly illuminated with many jets of incandescent gas robert had a strange aversion to electricity and adorned with festoons of oriental flowers banners and the gayest coloured bunting it still retained an air of sadness and an indescribable something that nothing nothing short of total annihilation could ever eradicate or modify her ladyship clad in a snowy dress of the most costly material trimmed with the rarest lace her fair arms and bosom glittering with the wentworth diamonds looked like a fairy queen standing on the threshold of an enchanted castle i looked closely at her but could see no remnant of apprehension either in her eyes or gestures she was perfectly at ease and sublimely unconscious of aught but the enjoyment of those around her and the importance attached to herself the well-dressed handsome hostess with robert it was otherwise in spite of his smiles his bows his many pretty actions of old-world gallantry i could see that the wan grey spirit of unrest stalking at his elbow never left him he would have staked his soul to glance occasionally at the spot before the fireplace but fear lest someone might see him effectually held him back this continual mental struggle unsuspected even by his wife was only too obviously apparent to me and i seemed to hear a sigh of relief of deep and earnest relief issue from his lips when the orchestra began and now all was symphony and movement there was much glare and glitter and piquancy snake-like evolutions spasmodic convergences dexterous extrications all performed and repeated with mathematical precision and untiring repetition the music changed the waltz gave place to a novel and somewhat wildly executed fandango it was her ladyship's whim to include in her programme exotic dances a resuscitation of long-forgotten terpsichore they were undoubtedly the distinguishing and characteristic feature of her entertainments raising them far above the commonplace and gaining for milady a world-wide and much coveted reputation she hated anything merely popular and vulgar in this dance that now commenced and which i beheld for the first time there was much of the beautiful the wanton the bizarre and just a suspicion of something which might have shocked a very exacting grundy as the greater number of guests like myself were unacquainted with it the floor was left comparatively free for the performers the onlookers lining the walls the doorway and the big bay window never had i witnessed such enthusiasm 
the dancers throwing their very heart and soul into their antics gyrated and pirouetted in such lively fashion as evoked spontaneous outbursts of applause from the delighted albeit bewildered and somewhat puzzled spectators the faster the music the quicker the feet the louder the clapping and now at a moment when the revelry had reached its height and the attention of all was riveted on the dancers a sudden commotion in their midst made everybody wonder what was it what had happened i glanced at the clock robert glanced too our eyes met and i read in his a deadly fear it was the hour for the dead to rise the space in front of the fireplace was now deserted and the dancers grouped around on either side were eagerly peering forward to ascertain the cause of their alarm curiosity repulsion and horror horror wild and undiluted were now depicted on every countenance as the gently heaving boards slipping noiselessly asunder revealed two hideous heads rising as if it were from the bowels of the earth slowly very slowly with a gradation suggestive of machinery the phantoms i knew so well at length came into full view but stupendous as was the sensation this unlooked-for tableau produced not a sound was uttered and as if to accentuate the silence the music broke off abruptly dancers audience and orchestra being similarly affected for a few seconds the female phantom clutching in one arm its loathsome burden paused irresolutely beside its tomb and then shaking a hand in the direction of the honourable walter it made a sudden dart at the spot where he stood a thrill of the most intense horror accompanied this unexpected movement all eyes being now transferred to the wretched youth i gave one glance at my cousin robert i dare not look again his expression was frightful he could do nothing to help his son his position was that of the damned the crucial moment arrived no one breathed the things from the grave reached walter and there was no hesitation they passed right through him i looked at the wall i rubbed my eyes the spectres had vanished a convulsive throb now ran through the assemblage the revellers exchanged frightened and embarrassed glances there was a general movement to the door the room emptied the dance was over i did not see her ladyship again i merely received a message of farewell but robert came to say good-bye i wonder he said gazing at me with his pensive harrowed eyes i wonder very much if the ghosts appear to you when alone in that room if so you have indeed been brave and to keep it a secret served us right the story of the hauntings he continued has up to the present been revealed only to the male members of our family but to you i feel that an explanation is due at any rate you are a wentworth and have given me ample proof that you may with safety be entrusted with a secret it seems years ago that one of my ancestors got entangled in some way or another with a beautiful gypsy she begged him to marry her he refused and fearful lest the affair should leak out and so bring discredit upon the family he murdered her burying her body together with that of her child underneath the ballroom floor at least so the manuscript states 
and no one as far as i am aware has ever disproved it tortured with remorse and a victim to the orthodox fears of a murderer my unhappy forefather took poison commanding in his will that the ballroom should never again be used for a frivolous purpose an injunction which until last night has been faithfully obeyed the wentworths as you may naturally suppose have kept the story strictly to themselves the male heirs alone being usually acquainted with it i did not altogether credit the story of the haunting though my father swore he had seen the cursed apparitions moreover he told me that they appeared periodically every night at eleven p m from the twentieth to the thirty-first of december he also warned me and here i am much to blame on no account to permit any outsider to be in the room for if you do he added then something terrible will happen i own i was sceptical and bitterly i regret it now i had never seen an apparition and what my father told me he had seen i attributed to suggestion the natural consequence of dwelling too much on the horrible details of the story maud shared my scepticism and when she wanted to use the room brought forward the most ingenious arguments to overcome my scruples i declared it was impossible it would be sheer sacrilege i was accused of inconsistency i disbelieved how then could there be any danger the injunction in the will was unreasonable and absurd in short i had no peace i had to yield so making the stipulation that we should first find out some means by which we could prove that there was no foundation for the story of the haunting i reluctantly gave my consent somewhat to my astonishment maud had already formed a plan for testing the room she had heard me speak of you you were a wentworth if you discovered anything we could rely on you to keep it secret and so my wife suggested that you should be put in that room just to sample it i hesitated i did not speak i suppose my silence gave consent the rest you know i won't press you to tell me if you saw those beastly things if you did the sequel only serves us right anyhow nothing can excuse my having sanctioned disobedience to that injunction in the will the fact and the nature of the haunting is a secret no longer the cause none but a wentworth shall ever know i need hardly enjoin you who are one of us to maintain silence on that point we shall shut up the house for a time until in fact the worst of the affair is blown over and when we meet again let us hope it will be under happier circumstances we never met again within six months of my departure both robert and his son were dead killed in a motor accident abroad the property is now in the hands of distant of very distant relations and i feel no compunction in saying what i know about it only if you repeat this to mr elliot o'donnell please substitute fictitious names End of chapter 12